1 Timothy, in the back of the New Testament, I believe if I am right, you have the prison epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you have 1 2 Thessalonians, and then you'll find 1 Timothy. It's right before 2 Timothy, so. We do read the first epistle of Paul to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As we come to your word this morning, again, we know that this is inspired by you. And Lord, that we come to learn. And not only to look at the implication, but there's something here for us to apply in our lives and for this church. Timothy was ministering in very difficult days. And these are difficult days. So Lord, there's much for us to learn. But to understand this, this is your word. And as Isaiah says, the grass may wither and the flowers fade, but the word of God is established forever. So, Lord, we want to be attentive to the things that you show us this morning in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, the apostle, writing to young Timothy, a young disciple of Paul, as most of you know. At this time, that it is Timothy that's pastoring the church at Ephesus, a major church in Proconsular Asia. Timothy is about 35 years of age. And it's interesting that later on in the epistle that Paul's going to say, let no one despise your youth, Timothy. Paul's about 30 years older than Timothy. And 1 Timothy is one of the three epistles that we have called the pastoral epistles, which consist of 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And as most of you know, the reason they're called pastoral epistles because Paul's writing to these two pastors, Timothy and Titus. Paul had taught them. He had discipled them. They traveled with Paul. They had learned from Paul. They had been with Paul. Paul was one that took them under his wings and taught them about ministry, and they were like-minded with Paul. And we will see going through First and Second Timothy as we go through these two books, and you'll see it as well as in Titus, that there is a theme that Paul is stressing here to these two young pastors. We're definitely going to see it as we go through First Timothy. It is concerning their ministry. And he is going to emphasize you are to hold on to sound doctrine. You are to teach no other doctrine. You are to be teaching in season, out of season. Matter of fact, there's a reference of the priority of the teaching of the Word of God some 32 times in these three epistles, the pastoral epistles, which are not long books. So that's emphasized in 1 Timothy. It will be in 2 Timothy as well. And, and not only that, but how the church should be run, uh, about order in the church, the role of leaders, the role of women, the role of widows. As we travel through First Timothy, we're going to hit on all those things. And this pastor, Timothy, needs to not only be instructed in ministry, but he needs to be encouraged as well. Because this is a time where there's great challenges in the church. And Rome and Caesar Nero is going to come against the church and come against Christians. Now a little bit of background to bring us to where Paul's writing this epistle. And you recall that Paul in his first missionary journey that you read about as you go in Acts 13 and Acts chapter 14. That he would take Barnabas with him. 
He would go into that area of Galatia. He would establish those churches of Galatia, Lystra, Derby, Iconium. And we know that Acts chapter 14 tells us how Paul in Lystra was stoned. He was left for dead. And it tells us specifically that they left him for dead and they drug him out of the city, which means that they probably took him and threw him into the garbage heap because that's where it would be outside of the city. And Paul miraculously, he rose up, he went back into the city and, and he would eventually leave those uh, cities that he had established, those churches of Galatia. Uh, at the end of his first missionary journey, he he would come back to those churches uh, on his second missionary journey. It's, it's no longer is he traveling with Barnabas. He took John Mark and went a different direction. Paul now is traveling with young Silas. And as you open up chapter 16 of the book of Acts, we read that Dr. Luke, he says, and behold, and he used that word Luke in the gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts often, behold. In other words, this is really important. Consider this, that there was a certain disciple that was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra, that is Timothy, and in Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go with him. So that's the first mention of Timothy in Acts chapter 16. We learned that his mother was a believer. His father was Greek, so probably uh, not a believer. There's no indication in Scripture that he was. And we know that Timothy's grandmother was also a believer, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. His grandmother's name was Lois. His mother's name, Eunice. And Paul also mentions something that I think is worth our consideration this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 that is he's telling Timothy that these are perilous times Timothy evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse so this is what you do you must continue in the scriptures that you have learned from childhood and I want to remind us moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that what a blessing and what a privilege it is to be able to teach our kids the Word of God. That you teach them the Word. That you speak of the Word of God in your homes. We have been commissioned to do that, ordained to do that. That we are to raise our children in the admonition and the, and the instruction of the Lord. Especially how important it is in the day in which we are living in. And we will come alongside of you. And we will support you. And we will help you here at Calvary Chapel. But you are to teach them the Word of God. You are to speak God's word into their life. And that's what Timothy's mom and grandmother had and what a blessing it was to him. So Timothy joins Paul in that second missionary journey. Timothy's only about 20 years of age. And Timothy would travel with Paul. Well, on the third missionary journey, as most of you know, that, that Timothy is with Paul as Paul makes his base of operation there in Ephesus. And the whole city begins to come to Christ. A revival breaks out. He's there for three years, Paul. We know for two of those years that he's teaching at the school of Tyrannus. In other words, those young men that were getting saved were being discipled by Paul. He was teaching them. And then those guys would go out and plant churches throughout consular Asia. There's evidence of that. We talked about it in, in details. We went through the seven letters to the seven churches and in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and in 3 and we know that great fruit came from Paul's ministry there in the city well eventually what happened was the silversmiths rioted against Paul they drove Paul out of Ephesus and as we talked about in our Roman study that Paul then goes to Greece 
He's there in Macedonia. He takes pen in hand. He writes 2 Corinthians. He would then travel as he goes to Achaia, to Corinth. He would then write the book of Romans. He is uh, saying that I'm going to to, uh, take a collection and give it to the saints uh, there in Jerusalem. He's gathering that collection from the churches there that he had established on his second missionary journey. So, So Paul does that. And you recall that in our study in the book of Romans that he begins to talk about his plans. And as he leaves Corinth and ends that third missionary journey, and he goes to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem, we know that he stops at Miletus. And he begins to address, for the very last time, the Ephesian elders. Uh, He has this pastor's conference, if you would. And the Ephesian elders met him there at Miletus. Uh, He addressed them. He begins to speak to them, sharing his heart with them. And he says, you won't see me anymore. This is the last time I'm going to be with you guys. And it's such a wonderful pastor's conference. That's what I consider Acts chapter 20. And Paul says this to them. I'm going to read part of it to you. He says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I know that has been the prayer of mine, that that we share with you and we teach you the whole counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And in the 20 plus years that we have been here, we've been able to go through all 66 books of the Bible, and we're getting close to doing it for the second time. And what a privilege it is for us to be able to do that. I haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, you guys. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, Paul says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, it did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul is telling them as he's prophesying, listen, that it's going to come as I leave here. That in the church, the savage wolves are going to come into the church. You know, if you've been listening to the news at all, that... They have had some stories about that they believe the wolves are coming in from Wyoming, and there's been a couple of them spotted in in northern Colorado. There's always been a wolf or two spotted over the years, but this is really the first time that two have been spotted at one time. And so there is the thought that time is on the wolves' side, that they are going to come into Colorado. They're going to establish a pact. So now there's all this debate going on between environmentalists and, and uh, ranchers and, and those who, you know, are uh, guides for those who hunt, you know, about the, the benefits or the, uh, the concerns that the wolves will come in and, and they'll decimate the elk population or what they'll do is they'll begin to eat the livestock and calves and sheep and all of this. So that's all that you'll be hearing. Well, here Paul is saying that there's another wolf that is spiritually there are wolves that are coming into the church and they're feeding on Christians and they're speaking perverse things and they're drawing disciples after themselves. So Paul leaves those elders. He goes to Jerusalem and it's 58 A.D., You know, many of you, the rest of the stories, you read the book of Acts from chapter 21 to the end of the book. He is arrested in Jerusalem. He goes through this legal nightmare that lasts for about four and five years. He's over two years. He's in Israel and Roman custody. He ends up in Caesarea. There in Caesarea, he stands before 
Festus, the governor, Felix, the governor. He stands before Agrippa in the amphitheater. He gives his testimony. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. And they said, to Caesar, you shall go. He gets on a boat. He's going to Rome. Of course, the book of Acts records how that boat was caught in a storm, eventually would break apart. And all those on the boat would be washed up on the shores of Malta. And there Paul's bitten by a poisonous snake. It seemed like he never got a break. But then Paul, the book of Acts ends with Paul going to Rome. And, and there as he is waiting to go on trial before Caesar Nero. He is chained to a Roman guard for two years, two to three years. And he writes the prison epistles. He writes Ephesians. He writes Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Paul would then stand before Caesar Nero. That's not recorded for us in the scriptures, but it's about 63 AD now. Paul would be acquitted. And a couple things to consider as Paul was acquitted, that number one, that he would give his testimony before Caesar Nero. We're pretty confident of that because Paul gave his testimony before everyone. It was Paul the Apostle that gave his testimony before Felix and Festus and, and before Agrippa in the amphitheater. And you know Paul gave his testimony to Caesar Nero. He gave him the gospel. We can be certain that Caesar Nero rejected that testimony. We also know that Paul would be acquitted. And even though it's not recorded in the Bible, it would be recorded in the, the courtroom of Caesar Nero. And you see... Rome took very seriously, if the accusers didn't show up, then, then that person would be acquitted. And you know that the Jews did not show up in Rome to be in the palace of, of Caesar Nero. So he is acquitted, Paul is. He would leave and he would go to Macedonia. And as we talked about, he probably went to Spain as, as Romans chapter 15. He talks about his plans and ministry. And, and he said, I'm going to go to Spain. And then eventually, a few years later, he would be rearrested, put into a terrible place, a dungeon. And then Caesar Nero has him executed as he takes Paul's head off. You know what the interesting thing is? Before Paul stood before Caesar Nero, and I've, I've mentioned this before, Caesar Nero wasn't that cruel to the Christians. He, he wasn't persecuting the Christians. Afterwards, after he gives that testimony to Caesar Nero and Caesar Nero rejects it, Caesar Nero goes insane. And in July of 64, Caesar Nero burns the city of Rome down. You know from your high school history that he played the fiddle as Rome burned. And then he turned and he blamed the Christians. And then he began to persecute the Christians very heavily. Paul here at this time is writing to Timothy. Listen, I'm not telling you all of this history to bore you. But Paul is writing to Timothy between 63 and 66 A.D. when persecution has taken place or about to take place. And it was horrible. Caesar Nero had Christians that were thrown in the amphitheater to be fed by the lions and, and killed by the lions, and thousands of people would watch that. He would take Christians and tie them at the uh, post, and he would burn them at the stake, Caesar Nero would, and then he would ride in his chariot, you know, in between these burning Christians, and, uh, and he would have this hideous laugh uh, at the top of his lungs, and he would be riding on the chariot naked. That's what history records. He went insane. He declared war on the Christians. And it is during this time 
that Paul puts pen to parchment to write to Timothy, who is now pastoring this church, a major church there in Proconsular Asia. And we know that Rome is threatening the Christians. There are false teachers and doctrine that has come into the church. And this young protege of Paul has this daunting task of pastoring this church and restoring sound doctrine in the church once again and order in the church. So with that background, let's begin to look at 1 Timothy as we read once again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. In all of his introductions that we have as he wrote to the churches, this is the only time that he writes an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God. You see, in other places he would write that Paul, an apostle, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In other places he would write that I'm an apostle by the will of Jesus Christ. But here he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. And as he's given his divine authority as an apostle, and, and you see as he's doing that here, he is given this divine decree. There's this divine edict by God our Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope, is the only time that he does this. It is more than he is stressing this apostolic authority, which he does, for example, to the church of Corinth because they needed to know, hey, I'm an apostle by the, by the will of Jesus Christ. Here, as he does it in this epistle, he is putting this divine signature to this document, to this letter. Because not only do you need to be instructed concerning your ministry, Timothy, and the function and the role of the church, but those who are around you, because there are the false teachers that have come in and they're wolves and they're devouring the sheep and they're drawing disciples after themselves and there are false teachers Timothy and you're going to have to you're going to have to charge them you're going to have to deal with them and the things that I am writing to you on how the church should function in these most difficult days is not your opinion as a pastor. It's not my opinion as an apostle. But this is an edict that comes from heaven. And it applies to us here today. That this is God's word, this is an edict that comes from God. This is not, as I hear more today of, well, you know, it's just the writings of Paul. And it was his opinion. And it doesn't apply to us today. It's out of date. And the very opening of this letter says no to that kind of thinking. And we know that in our culture today and in the church today, that unfortunately that there are more and more pastors and leaders that are dismissing what is told to us in this letter. And Timothy is in a difficult, difficult time where Rome had come against the Christians in a very cruel way, where these savage wolves are drawing disciples after themselves, speaking perverse things. And in our day, we see that there is more and more that culture is declaring war on the church and on Christians. We know that to be true. And more and more there are those who are drawn disciples after their own perverse teaching. That they are doing what is right in their own eyes. They are forming to the trend and the popularity of, of culture today. And this letter says this is a divine decree, commandment on how you are to live, Timothy, and how the church should be. 
And God's word does not change. And when we believe the way God wants us to live and how the church should function and knowing that Timothy being told in this letter that it is perilous times in the last days, Timothy. Paul did not say that it might be perilous times or I hope it isn't perilous times or it could be perilous times. He said, Timothy, know this. Know this is important that in the last days it's going to be perilous times. You know what the interesting thing about that verse, and I think I've mentioned this before, that word perilous that Paul puts in there, he borrows that word from Matthew chapter 8. He borrows that word perilous from Matthew chapter 8 describing the demoniacs. That they were perilous, Matthew writes. They were full of violence. They were cutting themselves. They were breaking the bonds, you know, and the chains that they had put on them. No one dare come out and see them. He said, that's what it's going to be like in the last days. Men lover of selves, lovers of money, brutal, fierce, traitors, blasphemers. He goes on and he says, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. Timothy, you need to know this. And know this. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. But you must hold fast to sound doctrine, Timothy. You must continue in the scriptures that you've known from childhood that will make you wise for salvation, which takes on the meaning of the full orb of God's blessing. So this document, this book, is handed to this young pastor so that he has the authority within this church and to pass it to the other churches that this is God's edict and commandment given to us and is passed along to us here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Our hope. Underline that. You see, it means more than he gives us hope, but rather he is our hope. And there is no other hope. Can I ask you a question this morning? Really, in honesty of your heart. What is your hope? What is your hope? Is it the next election? I'm not saying that the next election is not important. I'm not saying that at all. But is it your hope? Is it that the stock market is going to continue to grow? Is it that we really find the answers to climate change, if there really is such a thing? Is that your hope? Is it your hope? Is it the hope for your kids and for your grandkids? Listen, I love this nation. And I'm very concerned at the direction that this nation is going spiritually and morally. And I know that there's decency still that is in this country, but we're on a slippery slope headed towards something that is very bad, very difficult. We get further away from the Lord. I appreciate those who serve our nation, that defend our country and the freedoms that we have. I so am so thankful that I can be here this morning and, and I can speak and I can talk and, and give a teaching and have the freedoms to do that. Those who are defending our freedoms. I'm so thankful for our first responders that put their lives on the line every single day. And we need to pray for them. We need to support them. Those who are seeing more horrific things than ever before. 
You pray for those first responders in, in El Paso and Dayton and other places. They need our prayers. They need that support. In a few days, I'll be going to New York, and one of the things that we're going to do is, I've been looking forward to this for years, is to be able to stand at the 9-11 memorial. I haven't seen it yet. The last time I was there, the Twin Towers had fallen and it was still burning. And I was there ministering to New York City police officers. And one of the worst times in the history of our nation, it was so overwhelming. They need our prayers and they need our support. I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity to do that. Even this morning, I got word that I'm being asked for, even today, by some deputies that want to get with me and meet with me. It's overwhelming, the world in which we're living in. And we need to pray for our nation, and we need to pray for the church, because I'm concerned in the direction of the church. And we need to remember this, folks, that Jesus Christ is our hope. And he is the hope of any nation, of any one period. He is the hope that is the anchor to our soul. And listen, if the economy falls apart and things unravel before us, the hope that we have is an unmovable hope. Everything else is going to fail. And Jesus Christ himself is our hope. Everything else cannot be compared to him. And he's going to come in glory, and we belong to a kingdom that will last forever, and we have that hope no matter how bad it gets, however difficult it might be, how many tears and trials that come our way, it does not move our hope because our hope is eternal. And listen, if you get anything today, it's this. If you build your hope on anything else, it will fail, and you're building on sand. We build our hope on him. We build on a solid rock, Jesus Christ. And Timothy, the winds of persecution are blowing, and difficult days are mounting, and Timothy's, his introduction to ministry may have been when he was a teenager, watching Paul get stoned in Lystra and then dragged out of the city and thrown in the garbage heap. Tim Timothy has no illusion about ministry. I hear oftentimes commentators and Bible teachers that say, oh, Timothy was timid and he was kind of sickly and Timothy, take some wine for your stomach, you know. I don't think Timothy was that, that sickly. I don't think he was that timid. I think Timothy, he has been with Paul for 15 years. Nobody stays with Paul in ministry for 15 years unless you are strong and of good courage. And he still needs to be encouraged. Just like Joshua stood with Moses for 40 years. And now, Joshua, you're going to go into the promised land. You be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. You be strong and of good courage. Three times is what is told to Joshua. And then the people come to Joshua and they say, Joshua, we will follow you. We will do what you tell us to do. We will heed your voice. But it's one thing that we ask, you be strong and of good courage. 
And Timothy needs to be encouraged here, just like any of us, if we're going to be strong, good courage in the days in which we were living in. And he was one, Timothy, that traveled with Paul. He was faithful to Paul. He suffered with Paul. And a few years after this letter is penned, Eusebius, the historian, tells us that Timothy was beaten to death in the streets of Ephesus because he was trying to stop a pagan parade. He was an incredible servant of God, faithful to the end, because he never let go of this one thing. Jesus Christ, my hope. Jesus Christ is my hope. Timothy, a true son in the faith, Paul writes. And I'm sure he writes that with tenderness and with love. Timothy, I have no one else who's like-minded, he would write at one point. And Paul, at the end of his life, a few years after this, he would ask for Timothy to come to him. And grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul oftentimes ends his epistles. He would give that dual greeting of grace and peace. And you see it in that order always. Because you cannot have the peace of God until you first receive the grace of God. He adds mercy here. We talked about that in detail last week about God's grace and and mercy. And Paul just would entrust the believers to God's grace. In verse 3, as he addresses him, and I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Timothy, I'm leaving you here in Ephesus. You're my son in the faith. You're like-minded, Timothy. You know my manner of life, my doctrine. I'm leaving you here in Ephesus. Timothy, you will be facing a heavy burden of responsibility, and you are to teach no other doctrine, the gospel, the truth of God's word. And you're going to have to charge those or command those that bring in strange doctrine or another gospel. You continue in sound doctrine, Timothy. Be strong. Fight the good fight. Preach the word, Timothy. There are those who are coming in and they're teaching fables and, and probably along with the Gnostics that, you know, brought in all this myths and stuff like that. You're going to have to confront them. You're going to have to confront those who come in with endless genealogies, emphasizing that it leads to distraction. Those who are pushing Jewish type legalism and it's not for edification at all. This is important to the household of God, and it should be important to us here at Calvary Chapel today because we are the household of God. Paul says this is a divine edict from God and how the household of God should be. It begins, Timothy, with sound doctrine, and that's going to be repeated in this letter. It's repeated in 2 Timothy. We have the church today that goes off on so many different tangents, I I, I can't keep up with it. So many things that the church gets into. Kingdom now, new apostolic reformation, grave soaking, so-so prayer, progressive theology that's rampantly growing in the church today that denies the gospel that actually the cross is an offense to them. You have those that get into Shemitahs and blood moons and, oh, I remember the calls. Oh, the Shemitahs and blood moons and we're all going to die and the stock market's going to crash. And I was told to take my money out of the stock market. It's like, really? 
not for edification. Guys who wrote on that back in 2013, 14, 15, you know, the Shemitah is coming with the blood moons and it's going to be terrible and we're all going to blow up. And the only benefit that came from that is they got rich off their books. Don't go there, Timothy. And we're going to be exhorted not to as well. Timothy, Rome doesn't determine how you are to minister or run the church. You think Rome's going to get, get nice all of a sudden? Do you think that culture's going to get nice? You think Rome's going to get nice to us? I don't. But my hope is not in Rome or in this world. Our hope is in Christ alone. And he's going to tell us over these next weeks how we are to conduct ourselves in the day in which we're living in. Oh, the culture's not going to applaud. The culture's not my hope. I want to bring that hope to the culture. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he is your hope. He is your hope. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that we're reminded of this, this truth of our hope is in Christ alone. And Lord, I, I thank you that it's the anchor to our soul. It's the, it's the solid rock in which we have life and build our lives on. And so, Lord, this morning as we come to the communion table, we come remembering what Jesus Christ did for us and allowing his body to be broken and bloodshed. Listen, the communion is for those who are believers, not just for those who are members of the church. If you're a believer... Taking of communion is a memorial. It's remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. It's very important. If you're a non-believer, it won't mean anything. So we want to give you the opportunity to come to Christ because he is your hope. The church is not your hope. You know, you trying to be good is not your hope. No person. Jesus Christ alone in him crucified for you because he loves you. And he died for your sins. And he says, come to me to be forgiven. To have right relationship with the Father and the hope of eternal life. It only comes through Jesus Christ coming in faith, saying, man, I am a sinner. Forgive me, Jesus. I know that's why you came to die for me. You rose again. You're alive. And you're speaking to my heart. Will you give your life to Jesus? Today is the day of salvation. If that means anything to anyone listening right now, that you can pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you died for me and you're alive and speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do believe that you are my hope. You're my salvation, and I want to know you and walk with you. And I thank you for bringing me into the household of God. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody prayed that prayer, when we have the prayer team up front, tell them the decision you made, because we want to pray with you and for you. And for us, that we're going to take a communion. And maybe we be in an attitude of worship and just thankfulness to our Lord Jesus who came 
to save us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The ushers are going to hand out the communion elements.